1: All right, it's Thursday, 1 o'clock, and you are tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report. This is Erin Fairbanks coming to you live from the back of Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And we are on the line today with Dee, Dee Emmons. Dee, Dee, welcome to the show. Hi, Erin. So great to have you. So you are quite the Renaissance woman. I'm, um, we have you on the show today to talk about your newest cookbook, Wild Flavors, One Chef's Transformative Year Cooking from Eva's Farm. But your work spans far beyond uh, uh, cookbooks, and I wonder if you could maybe give us a, a brief recap. I mean, looking at your your work, it seems like you span the intersections of cooking, health, farming, pleasure, conservation, social justice. I mean, mm-hmm. can, can you, can you okay. give us a little bio wrap-up so we can kick yeah. off the show?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the good thing is I think you're going to talk to Eva after this, um, the woman I wrote the book about, and... Um, you know, she. I think of her as the Renaissance, uh, the you know quintessential Renaissance woman. Um, it, but it depends, I guess, what you what you think of as a Renaissance person. But I live in the city. I live in Boston, and um, went to college in New York City. But I'm now 48, and um, right now I'm um, I'm juggling a lot of different things. But um, I started a nonprofit in um, Roxbury. Uh, uh, kind of a poor section of Boston, we opened a restaurant called the Haley House, and I was the founding chef, and we, our goal was to try to provide uh, an environment where people could commune and eat healthy, affordable food, and it started like very, very slowly, and people trickled in, and now, six years later, it's uh, bustling. It's cranking, and um, I'm teaching inner-city youth there now. I have a program called Take Back the Kitchen. I also consult with the Boston Public Schools. I work with Project Bread, a big nonprofit here, um, writing a cookbook for um, public school cafeterias, and... Um, also working as a chef in the schools. So that's a little bit of what I'm doing besides writing. Um, it's I love kids. I really, um, and I am a good cook. So those two have uh, fused into these, you know, into this kind of new uh, arena that I never expected. <laughs> so
1: That's great. I feel like that's like so often the story of people who get engaged in food is kind of one stone, uncover something new, and, and you can kind of just keep Digging further and further in, and what I loved about Wild Flavors is you you use some some stuff in there that you don't see often in in cookbooks. Uh, aruca sativa, I will say, as, as uh, you know, the Latin name for uh, arugula. One of the things I loved about the book was you really incorporated. Um, some information on kind of the plants and the plant's history. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the decision to to lay the book out like that. And what do you think that you bring to the table by choosing to include something like that? Well,
2: I think that um, I... I have spent 10 years uh, down at Eva's farm, and from a culinary point of view, which is kind of like my main, you know, goggles, my main point of view, I, I see these plants growing there. She grows over 200 herbs and greens. And so I see the world, you know, from these these herbs and greens. Uh, many of them I've never tried, you know, like Lovage or Calaminth or... Some of them I've tried many times, but they tasted nothing like the, the kind, like rhubarb or arugula or sorrel um, and, and chervil, because these herbs are so fresh, they're so organic, and you know, the soil is so nutrient-dense that I fell in love all over again with many plants, but also I, you know, um, encountered many new ones. So I, I divided the book up by 46 plants, my 46 are my very favorite, and it really talks about how to use the plant as a whole, like not just at one stage in its life cycle, like arugula, you know, what what you can do with arugula flowers, or what you can do with bolted arugula, or what you can um, do with baby arugula, and then there's wild arugula, you know, there's a, a bunch of wild arugulas, but she grows silvetta, which is a really uh, like killer baby arugula that is so worth growing. I don't know why we just don't you know? Stay stick with that. Um, but anyway, um, she's just endless in the kinds of plants that she grows and the stages that she stops the uh, the plant and 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 enjoys it and sometimes lets it continue to grow. Um, so
1: yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about about your your work together is this real focus on on, on conservation, uh, on using food at all of its stages and using all of its pieces and. You know I know from working in fine dining that can often be challenging and and what do you think i mean is the chef 's responsibility to to using it all and where do you think that kind of tradition has gotten lost in today 's kitchens
2: well, I mean fortunately I think it's it's, it's, it's celebrating a research um, I think that many chefs now are are you know embarrassed if they if they don't compost or they um, you know, if they haven't figured out what to do with their um, their leftovers um, I think it's getting to the point where um, it's very unfashionable to to not be aware of sustainability um, and also I think Eva has done a great service by by like by offering them um, uh, well, first of all, advice on, on how to, um, you know, how to use the plant, um, many different ways so they're not wasting any of the plant, but also introducing them, um, to these new stages, um, you know, like, um, let me think, uh, cilantro. She'll, she'll use the cilantro berries and the cilantro flowers and she'll, she'll sell those. And so the, the chefs have become, the chefs that have worked with her, and there's some in New York and there's some in Boston, they become aware of, you know, Maximizing the plant, and it, through them, all of their diners do too, so it 's this really, really great trickle down. I think the book is just you know I wanted to write it to kind of speed things along <laughs> you know yeah. so that people became more aware of um, you know the the benefits of growing mainly and um, but the delight of, of 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 even buying local food um, from farmers' markets um, and and so that's that's what it's about. It's about the plants and celebrating them.
1: So one of the things I find so interesting about working with with farmers or buying locally, so you know, you get to develop this relationship with with the person that you're purchasing food from. If you're a chef, uh, and, and like you were able to go onto Eva's farm and really learn a lot from her, and, but I think there's also kind of this corollary learning that happens from the other side. And I'm I'm curious what you think are the lessons that maybe you've taught Eva because I know that relationship has probably gone both ways Oh <laughs> that's like uh funny because I I I don't
2: think of you know the, of her, of me teaching her anything I mean she's 20 years older than than me I mean that might be a good question for her I I I think that I I I might be able to help her um out sometimes with um well, certainly with ideas for for plants, I sometimes come up with ways to cook with these plants or work with them that she hadn't thought of before. Because we're both really scrappy and we're creative, and she you know, went to art school and I, I went to NYU, but I was pretty out there and and so that's one. Um, and two, you know, I don't know, just you know, bringing friends down that she that she had never met before. I mean, she she just. Uh, Delights in people. She loves meeting um, new people. And, you know, maybe also, uh, I don't know, it's a question for, for her, really. Um, I, I think the friendship has been, uh, you know, a good thing in her life, but um, she has more friends than anybody I know. So, uh, you know, and she has a special way of making you feel like you are the most special, which, uh, you know, is really a, a gift. It's really a wonderful thing to feel.
1: Yeah, well, I look look forward to it. We're bringing her on in the second half of the show, and I will definitely ask her. I always just find it interesting, like, um, you know, because learning and relationships go go both ways. Um, I'm curious, you know, you you working, working with her and, and working on a farm that produces, um, these kind of really, uh, special products. And how, how do you find like that is different in, in the, in your restaurant, um, in particular, looking at the work you do with inner city youth, do you find that, that kids are more resistant or less resistant or does it yeah. not really matter? Well, or
2: Yeah. Good question. I mean, and, and just to go back, I think one thing that also that Eva really appreciates is that I'm just a huge fan of her of her, of her, herbs and her. I think what she grows and, and, you know, by cooking with them and being really enthralled with them, I think that spurs her on to, you know, continue and it's a hard, it's a hard job that she has. Um, but as far as the inner-city um, kids that I teach, it's funny. Uh, when I bring herbs of the, like, most strangest kind and, you know, they come with... You know, complete with caterpillars and you know um, the other insects, other kinds of animals. And um, when I bring those herbs to the to the classes, um, those are the classes that are the most successful. Those, are, you know, the the big thing I do uh, is really trying to push um, push open their 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 range. I try to open up their range of what they're willing to eat, um, and that I think is like the big problem right now is that. Kids, a lot of kids have very small range, and and um, they aren't eating as healthfully as they as they could be. And so, because they've just been like severed from their um, severed from the earth, these plants that I bring, these herbs, like let's just say purple basil and. Dill and lemongrass, you know, for example, I'll bring them to the table and we'll smell them and taste them, and the sugars are really running high. You know, we've just cut the plant and the the, the nutrients, all the chemical compounds, everything is just exploding, and and that's what her whole farm is about. It's about flavors, and and the kids get really. Um, Get really—it's like it's like they're eating candy or they're eating a new candy. They're just so they're so kind of excited by it. And even if it's just a vegetable, if I bring a zucchini from the farm, they're so intrigued. They're so curious, you know. They're like cats. They just, you know, if I bring the zucchini with the zucchini flower, they're they're fascinated. So you know, I, it's just wonderful. Uh, you would think that a lot of them would be, you know, um, they're not allowed to actually use words that are negative you know we're not they're not allowed to use the word nasty or (laughs) disgusting or but it doesn't matter even still um the the classes that i have um with the fresh farm produce um are like twice as good as the classes that. and i try to have a lot of classes that are you know that utilize supermarket ingredients you know regular old um you know boxed you know pasta and
3: Right. whatever that it is, people have onions in the bag. So I, yep. I
2: try to utilize, um, food that they can get on their hands, but I, I, I just can't believe the, you know, the different reaction I get with, with farm fresh, you know, food.
1: Yeah. I think that can be fun sometimes. It's almost on, on one level, it's almost like the, the wackier, the better, because what you're looking to do is kind of incite interest and, Speaking of health, I mean, what do you feel like as a a professional chef, what is a a chef's responsibility for ensuring that their food is is healthy? And, I mean, how do you kind of balance the health of uh, your dishes with the, you know, the taste and the pleasure kind of looking between the two?
2: Um, Well, I've always been um, the kind of chef, not always, but, the four restaurants have started have always been affordable restaurants, so I don't. I probably think more dif- differently than most most trained chefs. Um, but um, what's important is that is that the food is healthy, and you know it doesn't need to be farm fresh because it can't be uh, for me from uh, you know sustaining the the business um, uh, from an economical standpoint. So the pizzeria that we ran that was vegetarian in harvard square you know we barely ever got um produce from a small farm we couldn't afford that but the food was really healthy if you compare it to you know oat cuisine that has a lot of fat in it you know cream sauces and and not high in vegetables i mean this was a vegetarian restaurant but now working in the non-profit restaurant um it's even harder because people um a lot of people aren't accustomed to um, a lot of vegetables they want a lot of meat um, in the neighborhood that we're working in and I all I can say is that it's changing and that there are a lot of um uh, I mean it's 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 tough the whole um Working with small farms, I think that we try to do it as much as we can, and it's a whole lot more than I did in my for-profit business before this one. So uh, the nonprofit is able to, I think, um, I think they feel a bigger um, allegiance to working with small farms being connected to their food. Um, so I guess that's, you know, there's... It, Businesses have, um, you know, bottom lines, and they have to work with that. And I think the best thing to do is to try to keep meat as a very, you know, small part of the meal. Uh, That's one of the best ways I know to keep costs low and keep food healthy.
1: Awesome. Dee, thanks so much for coming out. We're gonna uh take a quick break and then we'll bring Great. Eva on. But before we do, I just wondered is that if you if you had to pick one restaurant or I'm not sorry, one restaurant, one recipe from the book that we should be sure to check out. I'm sure you get asked this question all the time. Where would you direct us?
2: Um well, I'm looking at the book. I mean, the, I'm looking at green eggs and no ham and ham. There's a recipe that infuses all these herbs in the blender with with raw eggs, and then after that you scramble them, and it's great with toast and goat cheese. It's yeah. just terrific, so I'll, I'll give you that.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations on a beautiful book, and we look forward to having you on the show again sometime soon. Thanks so much, Erin. their stories. Hotbread Kitchen is a nonprofit, multi-ethnic bakery and job training program out of Manhattan, whose range of international breads are as impressive as they are authentic. Learn more at hotbreadkitchen.org or visit one of our six Manhattan locations for a taste. All right, we are back. You are tuned into The Farm Report, and we are on the line with Eva Somaripa. Eva, how are you? Good, thank you. Did I kill your last name? Uh, no, you did it right, exactly right. You have to think a summer reaper. <laughs> <laughs> so, we uh we just wrapped up with Dee um talking about the cookbook Wild Flavors, One Chef's Transformative Year Cooking from Eva's Garden. And and that's you. So, can you tell us a little bit uh, about the garden and kind of how how you got started and what what you guys grow?
3: Okay. Um I got started with it just as a home garden. Um I had a neighbor who was a French Canadian lady who raised goats and milked them and she had a lot of herbs because she thought that herb pasture was good for the goats and the milk. Yeah. And she uh gave me plants and I started planting them. And it just grew from there.
1: And- so so you don't oh. ha- you didn't come from a farming background. I, you you were you studied pottery. Is that correct? It- I did. I did. Yep.
3: But I had um, my parents always had a garden, a backyard garden, and other relatives had even bigger gardens, and uh, I was always drawn to those gardens.
1: And so today, what what does the? I mean, the garden is the name, but. But, I mean, can you give us a sense of scale? How, how big are you guys and, and what type of, uh, how are, you know, how are you selling? Do you do mar- farmer's markets or is it all into restaurants? And and what are some of, like, your key crops?
3: It's probably one of the smallest commercial farms in Massachusetts. It's, I would say, maximum three acres cultivated, maybe more like two and a half when you subtract the buildings. Um, it's and that's one of the reasons that I grow a lot of herbs because that you can still you know there there's more value per square foot in in herbs than say pumpkins for which you need acres and acres, although I do grow a few pumpkins too. I grow uh, a little of everything that we like to eat and then um, other things uh many things for sale, and I mostly sell to restaurants and to um, whole foods and To a few distributors.
1: Wonderful. Send it to other restaurants. Send it around. How? um, I mean, how did you? I think that's one of the things. Often, the farmers we bring on the show are are curious. You know, how do they break into the to the restaurant market? I mean, how did that start for you? Were you showing up at the back door of kitchens with you know a a tray of lovage, trying to explain what it was, or uh, how how did people find you, or did you find them?
3: In the early days, I had. Mostly standard herbs, rosemary, thyme, sage, parsley. And I lived in Cambridge uh, part-time and out in the, on the farm part-time. And I would, it was a, a weekly commute most of the, most of the season, And um, except in summer I was out at the farm more. And at that time, which was in the seven, early 70s, uh, it was very hard to get fresh herbs in the city. So uh, I start, and I lived near, in Cambridge, Mass, near uh, Whole Foods, at that time, Bread and Circus, and I just brought, I had more rosemary than I could possibly use, and so I brought some in to see if they wanted, and they did, and they bought it, and slowly word got out to a few chefs, and uh, I would just uh, pay for my gas on the commute by just bringing in herbs, and then... Uh, it got more and more, more herbs, more customers. It just kind of evolved.
1: I had asked Didi this question in, in the earlier part of the show, but I'm curious how your choices as a farmer were impacted by the chefs you work with. And, and you know, when you're looking at varieties or, or, or you know, what what you're going to grow or when you're going to harvest it. I mean, how much is that a back and forth between you and the restaurants that you've worked with? I mean, do you think you're influencing them or they're influencing you? I'm sure it's somewhere in the middle, but, but how has that kind of worked for you? Well, one of
3: the greatest pleasures is that it's uh, totally both ways. And um, I love getting ideas from them. I love being asked, do you have something that maybe I've never even heard of before? And I look it up and then I start... Looking where you can get the seed, or I tell them something that they've never heard of before. It's it's fun. It's a it's a very mutual exploration, uh, and I will often ask, "Well, so what are you going to do with it?" When they ask for a pound of something, and and because I'll pick it differently or from a different age plant or a different part of the plant if they're doing one thing versus if they're doing another thing. So if they're just chopping up, doesn't matter if it has some holes in it, and if it. Uh, uh, you know if it's going to be featured as a leaf on a plate, then I have to uh, make sure that they get very perfect leaves or flowers or whatever it is. I do a lot of edible flowers, too, by the way, which I consider just part of the plant. That you eat, but they're also pretty.
1: Yeah, you I read in uh, you Can you tell us a little bit about your idea for naked salads?: Well, I grow many, many different
3: kinds of greens. I, my, the mixes that I sell are different every week. Uh, never would you get exactly the same combination uh, two, two weeks in a row. So, um, and I have, I try to combine hot flavors and slightly bitter flavors, sour flavors, sweet flavors. Uh, and when you grow the whole gamut of, of possible greens, uh, you have a huge gamut of flavors, and sometimes we'll put in a few tender herb leaves in there. We have what we call the wild mix, which has more of the unusual things, and then the combo mix, which is combination, which gives me permission to uh, to put a lot of, uh, of a great variety of things in that some people might not even consider plants. Uh, so, I mean, I have weeds, but in my soil, some of those weeds are really delicious, and Uh, they're often considered forage things, and I suppose to some extent they are, but they're also kind of half-cultivated because they're in uh, really good soil. And like chickweed, for example, and purslane, things like that, that are normally uh, just resented. Are I mean, wow, purslane is... (laughs) And purslane is... And and it's it's usually beautiful and tasty, and we've um, introduced it to a lot of people. So anyway, back to your question. There are... A tremendous variety of flavors, colors, and textures, and I feel that when you put a, a dressing on a salad, you often, when you have those varieties, you will often lose the pleasure of the variety. And sometimes, if it's, I mean, some dressings are wonderful, and if it's on a fairly bland uh, or or mono uh, greens group. You know that maybe has just a couple things, or if if the f- the actual flavor and other qualities of the plant of the leaf are not so important, then it's great to have a dressing then the the leaf becomes a vehicle for holding the dressing, whereas I think sometimes not always i mean I'm not stuck on that but but I think lots of times uh, the 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 combination is of the greens is so special and so wonderful that. You should do whatever you can to feature it and and not hide it behind anything else.
1: Yeah, no, that's it's, it's essentially like an an elevation of, of the green to the the centerpiece as as opposed to like a background note to to other things. And one of my favorite things to do with
3: to serve ways to serve the, the beautiful greens is to um, to put them on the plate as kind of a nest and then. Maybe you have a few scallops or a little piece of uh, fish or some nice grain and, and just uh, put whatever it is, either hot or cold, on top of the little nest of greens. And, um, and sometimes just with one thing. I mean, it's really fun to, to think of it that way uh, as, as just a, uh, a bottom layer on a couple of other pieces of food.
1: I'm curious when, so when you're working with these very kind of, I mean, they they sound very delicate, kind of precious almost, um, the edible flowers, the, the fine herbs, I mean, how 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 does that shape you know your what equipment you use or how you're able to to wash it or harvest it or issues of timing with regards to you know when it's picked versus when it's served i mean how How does that present different challenges when when you're working with these types of um, plans?
3: Well, a lot of things that you might think of as delicate really are pretty tough out there I mean in the sense of hardy and durable um, The important thing is to get them chilled immediately which we do in our i mean we take them right from the field into the walk-in refrigerator within minutes and that's a, a big deal and that they be dry instead of wet every now and then it's raining when we pick and that's a big problem we try to dry as best we can but we warn the customers these may not last as long as you're used to having them last because uh they were wet And then we deliver them refrigerated. I mean, the whole keeping them uh, below forty degrees, above the sort of higher thirties or around in the summer. You know, you don't want basil below forty, so around forty degrees is uh, pretty ideal. Uh, But if if you let them sit out too long on a hot day, uh, they sometimes look great when you pack them, and then they start rotting. So, uh, but we're we're getting better at knowing how to handle them for the best results. Um the and and the what what was your question again? Tell me.
1: No, I just I was thinking I was about you know equipment and um yeah, I mean you you talked oh. about timing but as far as like harvesting I I just picture you out there with like little scissors but I mean yes. is that's that exactly the, yeah? how we do okay. it
3: with little scissors. And that's why uh unfortunately they have to cost as much as they do because a human being is out there on his knees, uh, snip, snip, snipping.
1: And that's really the only way to, I mean, I'm, I'm asking that, is that really the only way to grow greens of this variety? I mean, there's not, there's not. No, I mean, are we ever gonna see kind of a mechanized version or uh, we should just understand like part of the cost is, is, is that labor? I mean, that's a big chunk of, of what it takes to, to create greens or herbs like this.
3: Well, there are machines that cut greens uh mechanically and i think i've seen them in the johnny's seed catalog and and i'm sure that the huge farms in california do those and other people too perhaps uh large quantity but we're such small scale that the cost of one of those would be a lot also you have to have absolutely perfect precision leveled fields in order to do that you can't have anything lumpy bumpy or out of the way
1: right um, So, what do you? I mean, what do you think it was about about your farm that that drew Dee Dee to you and and you know created this kind of transformative year? And and what, what did anything kind of happen uh, throughout the course of the time that you've worked with her? Any particular stories you'd like to share that were big learning points for you or for her?
3: Uh, well, it is a constant discovery uh, with Dee Dee as with many people who come out here, even who aren't chefs. Uh, People who just eat the things—it uh, uh, always amazes me, although it shouldn't, perhaps, because I'm so used to this tremendous variety that I've uh, become acquainted with over many years of um, of plants and parts of plants that I forget that most people haven't a clue that these things even exist in the world. And so uh, I think um, I think the, the the thing that I remember being kind of amusing long term with Didi was uh, she would just. Uh, put leave a pile of fresh cut leaves of whatever it is just sitting on the counter or she'd put it in the refrigerator without covering it and all those things lead to wilting and we're so super conscious of having this stuff have a long shelf life that we um, you know that, that would just Ring an alarm in my head. Right. <laughs> I was, right. I what are you doing? Over and over again. No, you have to wrap them. You have to cover them. You have to get them in the refrigerator, uh, which means that there's less waste because they go farther. So that's part of that whole uh, making things go as far as they can uh, philosophy. Um, and I.
1: am oh, sorry. Ahead. No, please. Uh,
3: I I did hear um, one of her. Uh, what I did did listen to your uh, interview with her and. When she was talking about teaching the kids, uh, I had a very amusing thing with kids recently. Uh, I, we had a book signing, and we gave the uh, leftover, we brought a lot of samples for people, and we gave them to the staff of the little store to take home. And, and one of the people who brought them home reported that her four- and six-year-olds just loved this big, powerfully flavored arugula. And I said, and, and pea grains, big kind of, Tougher stem figures, and I was amazed. And she said, "Yeah, they pretended they were dinosaurs, <laughs> and with, and they could let the things hang out of the corners of their mouths like the dinosaurs in the movie. <laughs> so, um, anyway, having stories like that and little uh, and variations, and I know she uh, is 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 a lot of fun. I think we've I've, I've learned um, to be uh, aware of what kids like. Um, in the, her classes, I think that's been good. And then her combinations of things are just amazing. Like she'll, she'll put things uh, together. I'm, I'm trying to think of of examples. Uh, almost all the recipes I, I, I grow are have taught me something new. Uh, sunchoke's. I grow sunchokes. They're these little things. there in the ground. But I wouldn't. It wouldn't have thought of making them to bisques and dumplings. Uh, uh, those are the two that I can think of, and which yeah. are wonderful.
1: Yeah. Um, well, we are almost out of time, but I, I did want to touch on one other story from the book that I I, I thought was so curious. Um, your daughter saves bacon fat for you, and you spread it on logs in your house. Did I read oh, that oh, correctly? <laughs> That's my son. Yeah, because <laughs> we always did that at home, and he's a, he's a uh, uh, uh,
3: very fond of bacon, and so every Christmas he he brings me his saved jars of the leftover fat, uh, which. You can yes, it's great for fi- starting fires. You can just um, <laughs> put it on the logs and or the the uh, kindling, and up it goes.
1: Oh wow! Well, Eva, thank you so much for coming on the show today. The book is Wild Flavors uh, by Dee Dee Emmons. It's one one chef's transformative year cooking from Eva's farm. Thank you so much, and look forward to having you uh, on the show again and hearing more about your seasons in the years to come. Thank you, Aaron. It's been a pleasure.